Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 141, The Emissary. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch Star Trek. Some weeks, so you don't have to. And you're welcome for those weeks. Either way, though, we're taking apart episodes for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, The Emissary. Hey, and if you've got a note or a comment or a question or an idea, please... Let your voice be heard. Contact us at Mission Log Pod. That's the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail, call us at 323-522-5641. Incidentally, I have been signed in to Skype to see if anybody will call me directly and I can talk to them live. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And our show website where we have every episode, everything archived, and all the discovered documents is missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And I don't want to spoil the show. But um, that will actually happen today. <gasps> oh, I know. Yeah. And even though it hasn't happened yet, I know yeah. that that's going to happen. Yeah. Am I blowing your mind? Am I? <laughs> well, hopefully not too much. Here's some other stuff that's going to blow your mind, though. It is. Uh, it's trivia. Awesome. Ken, today's episode, uh, the teleplay is credited to Hans Bimler and Richard Manning. But the story was actually written by Thomas H. Calder who then has no other credits in TV or film. Really? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of his sort of listed as an unpublished story by Thomas H. Calder, and then he had nothing else to do with it. Are we 100% certain that this isn't a secret, secret pseudonym for DC Fontana? Oh, man. <laughs> this We could spin off a whole series of books and conspiracy theories about that. We could indeed. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Cliff Bowl, and uh, Cliff Bowl takes the credit for coming up with the Klingon love scene. He says that he created that on set. However, the moment is spelled out exactly as depicted in a third revised final draft script from April of 1989. Um, there were a couple of omitted scenes kind of bookending that, but nothing that dramatically changes the intent of the scene. So it's a little hard to say. Sometimes uh, scripts that we come across were actually changed after the fact, um, but this doesn't exactly jibe with uh, Cliff Bowles' take that he's the one who came up with that whole moment. Um, today we get to welcome back Susie Plaxon, who we last saw in The Schizoid Man playing the Vulcan Dr. Sealar, and she has a much meatier role this time, and we'll get to see her again. Will we? Yes, we will. I'm right. not going to spoil it. Okay, good. But I was going to say we'll, we'll see her again. I wasn't even going to ask. I will say it's kind of like old home week, though, um, here. First of all, it's a mad about you. 
Well, I was going to say reunion show, but I guess it's a pre-union show, since oh, this episode yeah. would have been before Mad About You, I believe. Susie Plaxon, of course, played um, a doctor and maybe somebody's lover on that show. I can't remember. Uh, Anne Ramsey, of course, not the one, but the other one. <laughs> the other one. Right? Yeah, the one who was yeah. in you know, uh, the Tim Burton uh, Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah, and sure. also, who was in Mad About You, the wacky sister, who, of course, is most famous for me having a crush on her. Um, there's also, uh, uh, so Diedrich Bader, am I saying that right? I, I'm so glad that you found Diedrich yeah. Bader. Yeah, guy from the Drew Carey show, yeah. guy from Office Space. Ooh, yeah. somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> no, heck no. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, also on Veep recently, love his character on Veep. And, you yeah. know, well, I say recently, recently as we record this, 20 years from now, probably not so much. But as we we're recording this, yeah, recently, um, <laughs> It's really weird, actually, to see all these people like who would go on to play characters that you know other places. That, mm. You know, kind of like, on the one hand, you see them now as like Ensign Number 3, and it's like they're paying their dues. And yet, at the same time, when they got this show, they had to think, man, it's easy street from here on out. I, I, I have been an Ensign. I've, I've been this close <laughs> and not looking directly at Patrick Stewart. Makes right. me think there's, a, there's still hope for Argyle. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll, we'll see. And and got to give one uh, one more shout out to one more extra. Uh, great to see him back as always on the holodeck. Mm-hmm. Skeletor. Oh bravo! Yeah, love bravo. him. Love him. Nobody does death. No. Like Skeletor. <laughs> we're we're getting sliced in half. Well, quite like that's Skeletor. that's that's prelude to death. Um. Now here's something interesting. Tracy Torme actually, who did not write this episode, but uh, as we know, he was a producer on the show at this point. Um. He had the idea of developing a relationship between Worf and Dr. Silar. Now, that never happened, and he actually kind of voiced the opinion that developing a relationship between Worf and Kalar was too obvious to have a Klingon and a half-Klingon uh, get-together. He would rather have seen that happen with a Vulcan. And I get his point, but I, I don't know if... <laughs> really had more room for Dr. Sealar. Yeah. Who knows? I don't Who actually knows? get this point at all. I mean, you know, yeah. if you if you had them grow the relationship from the time she got on the ship until, you know, the end of the 48 minutes. Yeah. That yeah. would that would be uh, terrible, but if you have her sail in with this history, that's a, mm-hmm. I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um two emotionally detached, cool, icy <laughs> characters getting together to find love. Yeah like to see how uh, Mr. Torme would have played that out. Um, now, we also have uh, a major guest star here, Lance Legault. Spelled Lance Legault, but is Lance Legault as Katemok, a commander of the Tong. He had a, uh, a distinctive face and, and kind of a tough guy look. He appeared in so many action shows of the 70s and 80s. Hard to name them all, but you've got Magnum P.I., Airwolf, Voyagers, Knight Rider. He played General Decker, no relation that I know of to Matt or Will Decker uh, on the A-Team. He did Battlestar Galactica. He did Buck Rogers. Now, early in his career, he was in a bunch of Elvis movies. He actually started as Elvis's stunt double in Kissin' Cousins and Roustabout, and then he worked in small character bits in those movies and uh, and other Elvis movies like Girls, Girls, Girls and Viva Las Vegas. He actually also appeared in the 68 comeback special and then later in interviews after Elvis's death. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Who did he play in the 68 comeback special? I mean, that was Elvis and his no, he, band, he was, right? No, he was himself. No, he, but I mean, yeah. what was his part in the 68 comeback special? 
he, he's credited as himself, and I believe it's either just like a shot of him in the Elvis oh. entourage. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big, it, it's not like a now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Lance Legault to the stage. <laughs> no. no, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. yeah, but but it is cool that he was there. That that is one of my all time favorite uh, Elvis moments. It's just fantastic. So um, I want to give a little shout out to that. Um, and hey, another kind of welcome home. Uh, we get to see some footage of a Klingon battle cruiser here that we saw in the motion picture. Yes, they they reuse some of that footage, but they added some extra special effects like disruptor beams, which I thought was a cool reuse of that shot. Which is worse? Having an admiral on the Enterprise. Or having an emissary on the Enterprise. Maybe John can tell us. Prologue. At a poker game, all the usual suspects are bluffing their way through a game. Data, LaForge, and Riker are out. Only Dr. Pulaski, it seems, has the internal fortitude to stay in the game against Worf. Her instincts fail her, though. Worf has won every hand in this game, and he just cleaned up again. No time to worry about that, though, or make a play to win it back. Starfleet has called with something very important. Act 1. The very important message is very important. So important that Admiral Gromak won't even tell Picard the contents of the very important message. Only that a very important emissary is being sent to rendezvous with the Enterprise so they can head out somewhere to do something very important. Come on, says Picard. Can't we get a little taste of what we're getting into? Nope, says the Admiral. Just wait for the emissary to arrive. This is such a time-sensitive mission, and there are no other ships available, that the emissary is stuffed into a probe, fitted out with life support, and aimed at the Enterprise while traveling at warp 9. The Enterprise flies alongside the probe, beams it aboard, and who should be inside but a half-human, half-Klingon woman called Kilar. She's a bit of a spitfire, and she's making friends with the crew right away. When it's time to get to work, Picard makes a round of introductions, but there's no need to introduce Kalar to Worf. They definitely know each other, and all that smug confidence from the poker game has turned into a real sense of unease. Act 2. Kalar explains the mission. A Klingon vessel, the Tong, has a crew that has been in cryogenic sleep for 75 years, the galaxy has changed a lot in that time, and when these guys wake up, they'll be fighting a war that ended long ago. The Enterprise is the closest ship to intervene, a real problem since the Tong crew are going to wake up ready to fight in an area where a bunch of Federation outposts are going to make ripe targets. Picard puts his crew to work, even though Kalar thinks diplomacy will not be an option. The captain doesn't care. He just wants options. She and Worf are assigned to work together, and Worf is still kind of acting like a 16-year-old passive-aggressive Klingon who just saw his ex-girlfriend. In the computer lab, it's even more uncomfortable. Worf is cold, glacial. Kalar is flirty and forward and thinks they have some unfinished business. The only business Worf wants to deal with is the Tong. She doesn't care, since she's convinced they are simply an enemy to be defeated. There are no options. Act 3. Kalar is pissed. She breaks a table. It's cool. Replicators can make more. 
To blow off some of that Klingon aggression, Kalar goes to the holodeck and runs Worf's exercise program. Who should join her but Worf? When she beats up a bunch of holographic monsters, hey, look, it's Skeletor again, Worf comes in to say, um, yeah, pretty good for someone with training wheels. The program restarts at level two while Kalar and Worf fight together. Must have been exhilarating because now their aggression turns toward each other. It's tough, but intimate. Primal, but yeah, yeah, primal is the right word for what's going on here. Deep gazes are exchanged. Sniffs of each other's scent. Blood is drawn. Act four. In what can only be described as a Klingon version of Was It Good For You Too?, Worf and Kalar are now a little more at ease with each other, wondering where things went wrong for them years ago. They were young, they were foolish, they were scared. Oh well, it's all good now. Time for the age-old ritual where Kalar will now become Mrs. Worf. At least according to Worf. Kalar is not into the idea. Hey, it was fun, we had a good time, maybe even shared some laughs. But that's all it was. Seriously, what happens on the holodeck stays on the holodeck. Worf is more than a little taken aback with her casual, too-human reaction to the bond they just shared. No use, though. She absolutely refuses to be his mate for life, regardless of what they just did or what Worf would want to think that means. Back in the computer lab, Data is brought in by Worf to help. Kalar sees through it, though. He's a benign chaperone there, so they can focus on work and nothing else. Maybe Worf just doesn't trust himself. Back to the mission. One of two things will happen. The Enterprise will either arrive before the Tong crew awakens, and they can reset their cryogenic controls, keep them asleep, or if they get there after the crew wakes up, oh, never mind, the Tong is here, the crew is awake, and they are firing on the Enterprise. And they just cloak themselves. Act 5. In case you were worried about that 75-year-old Klingon battle cruiser, don't be. Geordi has cracked the cloak with a minimum of effort, and the Enterprise heads off in pursuit. Kalar is ready for a one-sided battle. They should die like Klingons. And that's a foregone conclusion. Worf has second thoughts, though. He's got a cunning plan. When the Enterprise catches up, the Klingon vessel fires, but it's no matter. Shields are holding. Hailing frequencies are open, but it's not Picard who's there to lay down the law with Commander Katemuk. Instead, it's Worf who is in command of the Enterprise with Kalar. Worf confronts the thought-out but still frosty Katemuk about his behavior. A lot has changed in 75 years, and how dare he fire on a Federation vessel being commanded by a Klingon. Katemek isn't ready to give up quite so quickly. How does he know this isn't a trick? So Worf orders all phasers to be fired. Oh, oh, well, in that case, maybe Katemek is willing to believe. P.S. Commander Katemek, it was a trick. Well, maybe not so much a trick, but definitely a bluff. Katemek surrenders, and Worf assigns Kalar to help out on the Tong until an escort ship arrives to lead them home. Worf hands command of the Enterprise back over to Picard, and Riker says, So, being in command of a starship is a great job, right? 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 You'll have to tell me all about it someday. In the transporter room, Worf personally sees to beaming Kalar over to her new assignment. He's not so good with goodbyes, or hellos, as we've seen. So she has to drag it out of him. The other night, 
you know, in the holodeck, that actually did mean something. It wasn't just a fling. Worf is glad to hear it, since his marriage proposal was truly based on feeling, not just honor and duty. She was scared. But hey, maybe she'll show up again and these crazy kids can finally just settle down. It's a touching moment. They hold hands. There's no blood this time. Then Worf paraphrases Jerry Maguire and sends Kalar on her way. The end. Show me the Quatlus? No, okay. no, no. It, it was it was more about completing. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, do I have to go back and watch this episode again? I mean, which is fine. <laughs> I'm just, I was just wondering. Uh, let's just start right at the beginning, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Data and Jordy should not be allowed to play poker, or they shouldn't yes. be playing poker. And and here's the thing, uh, this is totally thanks to their eyes, right? Yeah. Jordy, it has been established, can tell when people are lying. We know this from a couple of episodes ago. So, what, is he just there because he has no friends? Is that the thing? Because he's not winning, and he's going to be able to tell when everybody's lying except for maybe Worf, well, and Data. Mm-hmm. But humans, he says, he's got down. At that point, Riker should be like, yeah, I'm not playing with you. He's not. <laughs> or we're not playing for chips anyway, because someday these might be converted into something. Yeah. Although it seems unlikely. Um, Data, with his incredible eyes and attention to detail, even if he can't see when people are lying or Klingons are lying, these cards may as well be marked because every little imperfection, every little anything, even just the residue from somebody's hands, you would think Data would be able to pick up on and see. As yeah. would Jordy. now that I think about it, except Data would actually be able to count cards. I don't think Jordy would be able to. Now, of course, Data can program himself to not cheat, which I guess is what reading the markings on the cards would be. But then that basically means he's programming himself to lose. And I guess mm-hmm. I'm wondering if those are the same thing. All of this is to say, as much as I love the idea, it all comes down to when Jordy said two episodes ago, oh yeah, I can totally tell when people are lying. At that point, and I've always loved the poker game on on Next Gen, it's ruined for me now. If Jordy's sitting there, then I'm like, this this is just wrong. It's wrong that he's doing that because I feel bad for him. And if he wins, I'm going to be like, oh, he must owe somebody something because he's cheating. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I, I thought the same thing was it, ever since you brought it up that uh, it, it's really not fair. And, and I guess to, to answer your question or, or just to speculate on an answer for your question, mm-hmm. if Data can program himself to not cheat, right? I do think that is different from him programming himself to lose. He he could either turn off the ability or, or uh, let's say, put aside – any information he might get from seeing information on a card and let things play out at random chance. He understands the idea of random chance. Yeah. Okay. I get get what you're saying. Well, he understand, he doesn't understand poker though. I mean, because he says, (laughs) wow, Worf's making a mistake. And Riker's like, yeah, look at how many chips he's got compared to how many you've got and tell me how many mistakes he's made at this point. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You're right. He's not programming himself to lose except that he is not giving himself every advantage with which he was, uh, with which he was born slash made. Because, I mean, because right. Worf is. Mm-hmm. Worf is sitting there using his big voice and his, you know, really incredibly scary, formidable forehead mm-hmm. or cranium. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's using every advantage he has. Data's not. And maybe yeah. Jordy just forgot that he can tell when people are lying. I don't know. These guys right. would never lie to me. My visor must be broken. <laughs> Says yeah. happy-go-lucky Jordy. Right, right. Hey, again, with the dramatics of not telling Picard what the mission is about, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, and it, it's not like it's secret because Kaylor is there to tell everyone anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah know, I, like that, I guess that's her job. It's 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 almost like they were trying to heighten the reveal. Yeah, you know, well, it's like, totally. oh, she's a half Klingon, half human. Well, okay, we still could have known what the mission was, and mm-hmm. we still could have known that you know she and Worf knew each other beforehand. But yeah, the whole. Yeah, I can't tell you. Honestly, I expected Admiral What's her name to go, but that would ruin the surprise, Jean Luc. <laughs> right, right. I I thought she was going to say, uh, "Sure, I'll text it to you," and then <laughs> um, while she's on her way, then you can read that and become more familiar with the mission. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be nice? Um, uh, Kalar has the line: "Whoever said getting there was half the fun?" Um, I, I know who said that. It was Cunard. Cunard said it in their ads, and, and this is the second reference so far to Cunard in The Next Generation. We mentioned the QE2 in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, who, Who's your, oh, your, your hero? LQ, uh, Sonny Clemens? No, not, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, LQ is your hero. Yeah, the, Offenhouse. The, Offenhouse. Yeah, yes. I don't know why, why, why? Really? Service is so much better. Those are the characters that I'm going to remember. Why Absolutely. is that? Why is Absolutely. that? Well, at least I remember the title. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, and that, <laughs> so you put the two of us together, we're in good shape. I've already forgotten. Yeah, somebody should put the two of us together and maybe They should. We'll <clears> do a show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? Let's talk for a moment about traveling in a torpedo tube, aka mm-hmm. probe. Um I'm kind of always amused anyway when the drama has to be ramped up because of some desperate timeline that makes traveling so much more dangerous. You know, you do it in a Bond movie, you do it somewhere else where like, well, no, they have to go in this car. They have to take this mode of transportation that we never do under any other circumstances, but we have to do it now. And then I thought, okay, it's a tube. It's a probe. There are not warp nacelles on this thing. So... The idea of a warp engine is that you are bending space. You are warping space around you to, you know, pull the ship or let the ship fall through that space, right? Right. But in this, you you have a device that has no visible means of propulsion. Yeah. Somebody had to shoot this. Yeah. Out of something, much like in the Georges Méliès film uh, Trip to the Moon, where they just just a giant gun. Yes. And you fire a thing at the moon. Only they're doing it at warp nine. Right. So how they didn't open that thing up and, and find like a, like a two millimeter thick <laughs> version of Kalar pressed to the bottom of that thing, I have no idea. Well, it's possible that that is what she was until they beamed her back aboard the Enterprise. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Because, you know, the Enterprise is going to put her back together. Right, exactly. Yeah, right, like, right. Well, last, last record we have of this, it wasn't jelly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah half Klingon jelly, though. So, you know. Half Klingon, yeah. yeah. So you can put her back together. Yeah. Um, and, and she is half Klingon, as you mentioned. Yeah. And there's one thing that Star Trek has taught us. It's that the galaxy is teeming with life that communicate with each other. Yeah. And, and if there's a second thing that Star Trek has taught us, it's that once we've made contact, we will start getting freaky with extraterrestrial life. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. And it'll totally work to make babies. Absolutely. A Spock. Uh, now, Kalar and many, many others, uh, life will find a way, as was once said, <laughs> to do what life wants to do. Yeah, we yeah. were asked by a listener, actually, and I mentioned earlier that there'd be some, you know, some of the listener feedback thing. I think it was on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, and I apologize, but talking about you, guy or gal, <laughs> um, why are all dual species um, on Star Trek half human, half, you know, blank? And to be fair, this person did acknowledge that they couldn't say for sure that that was true of all Star Trek aliens. But you got Spock, you got Troy, you got Kalar, 
Uh, they're prime examples. And I wonder if this is meant to play up the duality that all people feel. Just like when Deanna was saying, well, we all have we all have that anger. We all have that thing that you've got. And she's like, no, 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 but I really got it because I'm Klingon. Yeah. You know, if it's that kind of thing or, or like Spock's, you know, feeling, you know, like he's not Vulcan. He's not human. I mean, is it supposed to like play up that whole sense of isolation mm. uh, that we all have? Or is it just to show what intergalactic horn dogs <laughs> humans <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go probably would be? I'm going to go with the former, yeah. but I think the latter holds water. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it does. Yes, which which already has me thinking of um, Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm-hmm. There's the whole water thing, and the holding water is also a thing in Dune. Yes, yeah. it's, it's all about it's all about getting busy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It just all is. Yeah, you pick the right episode to talk about that. So, um, hey, and actually another listener. On See, Twitter, I told you this was going to happen. Right, right. Yeah. He, he actually joked that uh, that Kalar somehow managed to fit a lot of wardrobe changes in that tube. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I thought she probably got beamed aboard and immediately said, point me to a replicator where I can make some clothes, <laughs> you know. Some other um, clothes, because, I mean, she didn't arrive naked. No, no, no. She she had the, you know, the, the one piece, you know, very chic. Uh, but, um, yeah, but she needed more. And uh, and she got it. Or the quartermaster is just very busy on the Enterprise. Maybe that's it. Um, this actually reminded me of that uh, Six Million Dollar Man episode where they find a Japanese soldier who thinks that World War II never ended. And if I'm not mistaken, Gilligan's Island also did that. Um, hmm. I think Six Million Dollar Man took it a little more seriously. <laughs> but um, maybe I'm confusing the two. I don't know. Well, I mean, Six Million Dollar Man was a serious drama. Yes. Gilligan's Island was a lighthearted drama. Right, exactly. Um, I, I did wonder what was the logic of putting those Klingons to sleep for 75 years because mm-hmm. we have warp drive. Yeah. And it, it's not like they need to wake up in the Delta Quadrant or anything. Not that I know where that is or how long it would take to get there. No, but, no, you couldn't possibly. No, it's but. Like a, it's a thing you're making up right now, I think. It is. Yeah. It is. I just, I just like Greek letters. Who was the, uh, who was the uh, Klingon in uh, Star Trek Six? Oh, Christopher Plummer played him. Uh, yes, uh, Kang. Kang. This Wait. this this has Kang all over it. Yeah, I mean it really does. He sees peace coming. He's not interested in peace. I mean the purpose of this. I don't know that this was necessarily assumption something that was sanctioned by the Klingon Empire, but it may have been something that was sanctioned by a faction of the Klingon Empire. Mm. Like yeah, I don't like the way this is going. So it's going to happen after I'm dead, and that's kind of a bummer. But I will die knowing. That, you know, I have let slip the dogs of war once again. Right. I don't know for right. sure it's Kang. I mean, it could be anybody. I mean, it could be yeah. uh, kind of like the, um, well, if Peter Weller were ever going to play a character in some Star Trek iteration at some point. It seems like the kind of thing a character that he would play might do, too. Yeah. Except not with Klingons. I mean, it just it's, you know, what was the purpose? Lunacy. I right. Mean, I, think, I think the right. purpose was, was to, you know, it's a time bomb, really. Yeah. With no well, with no regard for what's going to happen between now and when the bomb goes off. Or maybe maybe there's there's somebody in the Klingon Empire who is very forward thinking and that person is like, "Hey, we've got a great assignment for you and your crew." <laughs> We're going to freeze you. No, 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 no. No, no. Listen, we're going to freeze you cuz this is so important that you'll have to 
you know, launch your attack in 75 years. And, and boy, do we hope that these there are, are, the, uh, these there are, are the, some other weapons that have been developed between now and then. The Klingon version of the telephone sanitizers is what you're saying? Exactly. These are like the Golga Frenchman, but different? Yeah, right. But, but not that different? <laughs> not, not that different at all. <laughs> By the way, uh, Chang. Chang. I don't know that just popped into my head. Chang. I know it's not Kang. Who's Chang? That 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 was. Um, I think it is uh, Kang. Actually, I thought it was Kang. Plumber. All right, yeah, Chang. If you say Chang. so. I'll, I'll put money on it. People sure. will write it and tell us. So they will. So yeah, don't. and then we'll use just their don't. comments maybe in an upcoming <laughs> episode of Mission Log. Right, right. <clears throat> um, great uh, line, and this is something that everybody could learn if you're in a management position when Picard addresses Worf. Are there any personal reasons for refusing this assignment? Yes. yes. Any professional reasons? No. <laughs> Done. I changed my mind. Sorry about that. <laughs> I withdraw my request. Yeah. It was very good. Um, also a good scene between Deanna and Kalar. Um, first, you have to wonder about the, the first human woman and Klingon man who got together and, and how much help they needed to produce a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, also interesting that... Kalar thinks she got the worst part of the deal. There's an interesting glimpse into her psychology, this kind of like self-loathing for somebody who is on the outside very confident. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so she's stuck in these two worlds, and and that's really too bad. But like you mentioned before, we've seen that um, in a lot of characters going back to Spock. Um, Deanna says it's a part of you. She wants Kalar to embrace this. And Kalar says, that doesn't mean I have to like it. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of unfortunate. Um, I thought it was cool that it's a technicality, but Worf is truly commander of the Enterprise with that moment. Yeah, it was sure kind of, that had to get entered into the log. I was know? very surprised about that, honestly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that Worf would ever do this, but very lucky that you know his next thing after, after, <laughs> after making the deal with the Klingons wasn't, oh, by the way, seal off the ready room. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wondered how is this not a better tactic to use with other enemies from now on? Maybe even throw someone dressed as a Romulan in the big chair when you need it. Um, or I'll just let the holodeck do it. Well, the Romulans know better, though. That's the thing. These Klingons <laughs> have been asleep for 75 years. A Romulan's not going to be like, we just left like three days ago. Really? This happened? Like in the yeah, Really? Yeah, but yeah, look, we got, we got Romulans on the bridge. Look at this guy. Right, must a be, Romulan. Must be good then. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. It sounds as if, for Worf at least, having an emissary on the ship is much, much better than having an admiral on the ship. At least when he is on the holodeck. So I like what happens with Picard in this episode. I, I had said last week that it seemed like Picard had a bit of a thinking inside the box itis. They had a big org chart itis. They had a bit of color in the lines itis. Right. He's rebellious in this episode. Mm. He's told by um, um, Admiral, who cares, uh, that, that this emissary is coming. Yeah. And, and, and when she shows up, you know, well, he's told that she's coming. Actually, the emissary is coming. And, and he is told to cooperate fully. That, that, that's the order. Cooperate fully. Right. And right. then she shows up and says, so we're going to kill these Klingons. And Picard's like, nope. Just, <laughs> nope, not going to do it. And, and he will help achieve the goal of not starting, you know, a war or having uh, colonies destroyed by the Tong. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's not cooperating. 
he's accomplishing the goal, but he's not cooperating fully. I, I think when she said that, the point was, she knows what she's doing, do what she says, this will all be over. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. Picard's like, yeah, except no. Which I, which I just found kind of interesting. I, I, I had to bring it up, point it out, especially because last week I was like, well, what's the deal with Mr. Milk Toast there? Right, right. And just, you know, be, uh, playing by every rule, even if it was to his detriment. And this well, week Picard's, he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Picard's got a really good point in the respect that, well, A, we don't just go around killing things. And mm-hmm. B, um, when you've got a Klingon ship populated by a Klingon crew and then a Federation ship just destroys it out of nowhere. Well, sure, you could justify it in saying that the Klingons will look at that as an honorable death, but you could also say this is an act of war, <laughs> you know? So that it, it seems like to err on the side of uh, not doing something that provocative toward them. Well, I don't know that you could call it an act of war, though, because my assumption is that the emissary is actually acting at least in part on behalf of the Klingon, what's left of the Klingon Empire. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, it's, you know, she's there representing Klingons. Saying, she is, she yeah, is, you know, yeah. the best thing to do really is kill these Klingons. What I actually found kind of interesting, I did think about, not to keep bringing them up, but uh, often house in LQ, Sonny Clemens, and that lovely mm-hmm. woman whose name I will never, ever, ever remember, <laughs> ever. Um, it's interesting, like, so these people from 75 years ago, these Klingons from 75 years ago show up, and they're brutish, and they're ugly, and they're going to try to kill you, and Picard's like, no, 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 we have to help them. We have to try to, you know, we have yeah. to do something for these people. And then people from Picard's past, like 300 years past, show up, and Picard's like, why did you wake them? Uh, <laughs> right. Can we please get to a star base quickly so I can drop off these things that we yeah. picked up? Uh, yeah. It's kind of yeah. it was kind of weird to me that he was like, oh no, no, these guys are fine. All they want to do is destroy us and everything around them. It's not like they're asking <laughs> for a copy of the New York Times. Yeah, or I guess it was the Wall Street Journal actually that he was oh, asking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is interesting that that is the direct order. Uh, from Admiral Gromek. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, they just they they made that up on set. I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> no, it is actually a sit in the script like that. Um, but I, I wonder if there is some circumstance where you know the the captain is still responsible for the safety of his ship. So even if the order is to do one thing and and follow whatever the emissary says. Um, does the captain at some point get to kind of override that? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it, she didn't put up too much of a fight. She just kept saying, like, no, that this is the only option. Right. I mean, I mean, she's an emissary. She's not an admiral. Right. I mean, right. Decker taught us that, you know, you, you can take over if you're higher enough in the org chart to do stupid things. And she's not actually in the org chart. She's sort of on the side. Now, yeah. I yeah. mean, she does that whole huffy, you know, puffy, I'm mad at you, Worf, so I'm going to say what the, what the deal is. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but she has, I mean, she's covered herself at that point. She came on board. She told Picard what to do. Picard says, no, we're not going to do that. Had the Klingons then, you know, like wiped out 12 of the 13 colonies in that area, she could have been like, you know, <laughs> it's in my report. I actually told him what we should do. He decided he didn't want to do that. So, I mean, yeah, I guess he wouldn't have that right. But then, of course, she's also covered at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's another yeah. one of those. Uh, it's another one of those. Uh, what is it? Law and Order, one seven zero one D. Right, right. So Ken, last week uh, when we were talking about manhunt, mm-hmm. remember back to those heady days 
of Loxana Troy. I mentioned that uh, sometimes I feel like Star Trek. It's like a whole different show, isn't it? I know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to our wrap up. Honestly, no, you, you, you said something before we started recording about how much better. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to skip a little bit. How much better this episode was than the last two. And I was like, just, I don't even remember. I don't (laughs) even remember what the last two episodes were. And now that you tell me what it is, I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's Star Trek, isn't it? Yeah. Kinda. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Please go it, ahead. It could have been a remake of the alternative factor, and I would have been like, "Wow, this is so much better." Wow, the um, alternative factor. Wow. Yeah. What of yeah. Lazarus, by the way? What? What of? I'm, what of Lazarus? So, so we. I started to go on this path, saying that when you're given a character like Loaxana and what she's going through, and then you, you you kind of smirk at it with the the Riker reaction to. Mm-hmm. Deanna and talking about beta Z sexuality that Star Trek really wants to say something. And they try to do that with, um, Ilea even. Um, but it just very often comes across as unsophisticated or at the very least a little clunky. And now in this episode, we have Star Trek making some very provocative and very interesting statements about sexuality and and it plays out between a couple of very strong characters, not characters we can just sort of make fun of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And and I found that to be great, <laughs> a great kind of refreshing change of pace for the show. You know, it, it starts with Kalar um, and uh, her her interaction with Worf, which. You tell me if you think it gets a little bit undermined by the end of the show because they they have this interaction and she basically says to him, like, no, I, you think this means marriage, but no, it absolutely does not because that's not what this is about. Then at the end, she says, well, I was afraid of my feelings. It actually did have more meaning to me. I wonder how it would have played out if in the end she'd said, like, hey, you got to get over this, <laughs> you know, and then just – takes off did she actually say that she was afraid of her feelings she did because, at the end did at she very, yeah at the very end okay. she said you know I, I she was afraid of of where that would have led hmm. and afraid of her feelings and so they both kind of have this moment where they admit okay what happened on the holodeck did actually mean something right but she kind of turned it around into being very defensive um <sighs> So it may have undermined that a little bit, but I think it all still kind of stands on its own, that she gets to be that tough. Yeah, I love the fact that she owns her sexuality, and I did not feel like that that was – I mean, I see what you're saying, but it it doesn't feel to me like it undermines it I mean, because she's admitting it. I mean, look, Mm -hmm. she's still – she's not changing her mind. She's like, yeah, maybe I was a little afraid. See ya. I mean, you know, I mean, she's, <laughs> right, she's, right. she's in touch with her feelings and she's letting him, you know, understand, you know, where she is on it. And she's certainly telling him that she, you know, that he does mean a lot that, that, you know, it was not, it wasn't just a roll in the hay as far as she was concerned. At the same time, she's got stuff that she wants to do and that doesn't necessarily involve, you know, being anybody's wife. Yeah. So she's not totally callous, you know? Yeah. Which is good to see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, that's not to say that everybody... I, I do see what you're saying, though, about could it undermine it? I mean, I guess if that always happens, I, I mean, we need to see, basically, we need to see a, a wanton woman, not a wanton woman. I don't want to say anything bad. We need to see a woman no, who's going to no. come on, come on the show, have her way with whomever, and then be like, oh, bye. Right. Right. 
<laughs> and we're all going to have to be okay with it, I yeah. guess. It's going to be Riker, by the way. I was going to say. I got a feeling. It, it's going to yeah, be Riker. It, let's look at how many <laughs> men on board have either gone somewhere or had someone brought to them, and they're like, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to get back on the ship and go. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's going to um, be Riker, pretty sure. Oh, what was nice is that they had a pretty sophisticated conversation about their relationship history in that brief time, you know, coming back into the fourth act. And then they got to have what was, again, a pretty sophisticated conversation about their relationship at the end. It, it all played out very nicely in a show that so far has not done a great job of showing a lot of emotional depth yeah. when, it, when it comes to things like that. And I thought what was also really interesting here is that Worf is kind of like Spock. He he throws around these words like duty and honor to be self-serving. Spock's total commitment to the org chart allowed him to do things like, oh, suppress his family issues, mm -hmm. you know, and Worf just sort of wants to have things his way. And he's very inflexible when they don't go his way. And Kalar calls him out on it. Uh, which is great, that he would have gone ahead with this bonding ritual, a.k.a. marriage, without regard to what it means to their lives and careers or what she wants. And he says that duty demands no less. So Worf has this interesting bit of a conservative slash traditional streak um, that he is then exploiting to get his way. Um, you know, they got together, therefore they have to be married. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, are, are all Klingons like that, where, where it's bond for life? Um, or is it just Worf who is so rigid that he wants things his way, regardless of the outcome for the other person? That's a really interesting question, because I my assumption is that that's just like a Klingon thing. I mean, well, I think you've got it in your notes here that he says, we have to do this. And, mm -hmm. and she says, I don't want to do that. And he's like, that's totally human. She's like, well, yeah. I'm totally, well, not totally human, but I'm partly human. <laughs> yeah. You know, Worf is actually, it's weird because Worf is, is non-traditional Worf in this episode. And yet he goes way traditional at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, Non-trad Worf is uh, the one, you know, the guy who usually says, hey, shields up and phasers and ah, you know. <laughs> right. Says in this episode, my experiences aboard this ship have taught me that there's usually more than one solution. Yeah, it's kind of actually again not to liken him too much to Spock, but it kind of goes to the thing where like maybe he's already he's always barking about phasers and shields because he knows somebody's going to stop him, and so what's expected from him as security dude is to be like shields up, red alert, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody else is going to be there and go, well, now hold on a second, and so then it's again it's like that whole thing of how nobody will help because everybody assumes that somebody else is going to help. When Worf is then in a room with somebody who's like, shields up, red alert. He's like, well, hold on a second. Right, right. And then, you know, somewhere in his head, he's got like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what comes next. Uh, it's also interesting that Kalar is um, in that argument is right to a point, right? Yeah. She says, look, these are Klingons. They're bent on destruction. We just need to go ahead and kill them. And Worf wants to know more about their mission in mm -hmm. order to find a solution. In the end, he did not need to know a thing about their mission to find a solution. Because he never found out anything about their mission. It turns out she was absolutely right. What they're going to do is destroy the first thing they see with the Federation uh, Federation insignia. Mm -hmm. Quick aside, how did the captain recognize the Enterprise as a Federation ship? Because he has to have known it's been 75 years. Oh, right. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. A, that's a minor point. Right. Um, it's just interesting to me that Worf was like, I mean, it, once, once Worf, Worf is basically out-Worfed by uh, Kalar. 
Mm-hmm. And he has to then he has to be a little bit more Picard and say no 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 let's find let's find you know to find a reason for this. And of course he goes way traditional at the end when he says, <laughs> "Well, you know, we've had sex now. We we bumped uglies, yeah. and I don't mean our foreheads." So <laughs> right, yeah. So now we have to get married, and if if we don't get married, then our you know time together had no meaning. It's interesting because he is he is at once growing and also like rever- reverting <laughs> in this episode. Well, I think that's what's so interesting about him, and I think that's what's so interesting about this episode. Two things here. Um, first of all, we have seen some other Klingons in, under a different context. Think way back to Riker doing the uh, Starship Exchange program mm-hmm. when he was in A Matter of Honor, and he is getting seriously hit on by the Klingon women in the mess hall mm-hmm. um, on board that ship. And, and hey, maybe he took them up on the offer. We don't know. And uh, mm. we're pretty sure that he didn't end up with a, a life bond with those two. Or maybe he did. Maybe, maybe that's a whole other show. It's <laughs> an episode that has not been filmed. Um, but the other thing about Worf, you know, if we take it out of this specific context and um, – you know, you think about it, in the original series, Spock was the only alien who was truly alien on board that ship. You look at him and he's alien. Worf is, he's the only Klingon that we know of right now serving on a Federation vessel. Mm-hmm. He is sort of always on display as being a Klingon. You, you cannot not notice the Klingon who is a member of this crew. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to think that there's a pressure that comes along with that where where you've got to be – you've got to always be on your toes. You, you've got to do the job exceptionally well and maybe even feel like you're being watched that, um, oh, OK, well, every time I pull out my phaser on cue when he shows up, oh, OK, that's that's a stupid thing I've been doing. I've got to learn to not do that. <laughs> you know, and I also have to learn from my captain and he's the guy who really likes to have options. So I need to make sure that I find some options here. So uh, this this whole episode, he keeps going back and forth. His rigidity is being tested by the changing circumstances of what's around him, certainly with Kalar and their relationship, but also with the idea of this warship that sure they could destroy, but is that really the right thing to do? And what I also love is that Worf is paralleled by the rigidity of the Klingons on the, of the Tong. You know, we open this story with Worf saying that Klingons never bluff. At the end, he bluffed, I think. Yeah, you could argue it either way. No matter what, he's not going to tell. <laughs> but you've got a ship full of Klingons who only know one way. They only know one thing. And um, Kalar is the one who says it. They were raised to despise humans, which is interesting because, yeah, we reinforce that hate has to be taught. Um, but but that that's all. And they – they are challenged with the idea of changing their assessment and changing their worldview at the end by Worf. And he does it in a great way. He does it in a way that they understand. But then that rigidity is also paralleled with, with Kalar's assumption that the Tong crew can't be reasoned with. You know, she's the one who has to put aside her prejudice and her assumption about the best way to play this out. Um, Worf says there are always options and she's the one who rejects it, you know? And like Mm. you said, there there is some truth to that, but she's the one who rejects that because she goes in believing one thing only about them. 
and has to be turned around. So it must have been a pretty good pitch in that short amount of time while they were changing into their traditional Klingon outfits. Well, no, the one thing about them was true. It was just a question of do they have other options. Right, right, right. No, it, it is true. Yeah, but and they've got a short time to reason with them. Maybe they can be, you know, retaught. Maybe they yeah. can, you know, I mean, they were both correct, which is, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because they were at such odds and yet they were both spot on. Part Klingon, part human, part lover, all KLR. As she leaves the Enterprise, what lessons does she leave behind? All right, Ken, I think I know which way this is going to go, but I I don't want to be like the people in this episode and make assumptions about what your answer is going to be. So I'll just, I'll pose it to you and maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised does this episode hold up? So you would be pleasantly surprised if I said it did not? Yeah, I'd be pleasantly surprised either way. Whatever you say, Ken. Okay. I, I'm, I'm always surprised and pleased. I'm honestly, um, I like it more now that we've had our discussion. Mm. I, I didn't dislike it, but mm. I, was, I was pretty much willing to say it was fine. Um, mm. Now, I do love the fact that we learn so much more about Worf. And I feel like we actually learn about Worf. I mean, we get to see him deal with some stuff. We get to see him deal with command. Honestly, we get to see him yeah. thinking outside the box, which is not something that he's been fantastic at to this point. We get to see, see him deal with a broken heart. We get to see him deal with with love. We get to see him deal with a lot. I mean, so so they are growing Worf a lot in this yeah. episode, which is fantastic. The whole idea of, of, of not being so rigid in your thinking and watching that happen. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I, I The one thing that I wish, and this is so minor, well, there are two things. Kalar was a little too human mm-hmm. for a half-human, half-Vulcan. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, or a Klingon. I'm sorry, half-human, half yeah. half-Klingon. She's way too human for a half-Klingon, <laughs> right. half-Vulcan. What? She was too human. She was a little too human for me. That's the one thing. And the second thing is I hate the fact that we reuse the um, that we reuse that, that shot of the... Uh, of the bird of prey twice because it was obviously the exact same shot <laughs> like like 45 yeah, seconds apart yeah. and that was kind of a bummer but if those are the two worst things you have to say then yeah i think you got a winner episode what about you yeah um you know it, it's kind of we alluded to this earlier it's a little unfair that the last two episodes were what preceded this one yeah because if you put this up against maybe the best of what next gen has to offer then yeah you can just go like well this doesn't really hold up and maybe she's a little too earnest or or something but because of the last two episodes mm-hmm. it, it makes anything look better you know? yeah that's true. Um, but i i really like this one i i felt like this was great and, and i found myself more interested in klingon psychology which as i've said before that hasn't always been my go-to favorite race of aliens to talk about in star trek and and even if you're not deeply invested in that world this is really good character stuff no matter what particularly about Worf. Mm-hmm. um but it's just good character exploration and analysis um when we talked about Manhunt, we talked about screwball comedies. And I'll throw another reference out. Kalar has this kind of Rosalind Russell vibe from His Girl Friday, just with, well, normal speed dialogue and no 
goofy hats. <laughs> but uh, but she is that tough, brassy broad who comes in to mix things up. And, um, you know, I feel like overall the, the character drama is good. The build of tension with the tong is good. Maybe helped along by that good Ron Jones musical score. Um, so, yeah, overall, I, I quite enjoy this. And I enjoyed it more going back for the rewatch um, when I would uh, when it was kind of building our episode. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, but what about messages? I, I think there's a lot in here to talk about. Um, I like the fact that they're challenging the, the social norms around sexuality uh, at mm-hmm. the end, honestly. Um, I also like the fact that they, that they're the whole thing that you were talking about, about the rigidity in everybody's thought and having to yeah. sort of back away from that. It is interesting to me that when Worf is thrust into a situation where he has to be not the guy who's saying fire on that thing or protect yourself from that thing, mm-hmm. that he is actually able to step up to that. So I guess maybe there's value in being out of your comfort zone in a way as well, which, I mean, he certainly is all through this episode. Not only is he not allowed to just point a phaser at the thing that he wants to point a phaser at or, you know, certainly make it easier, but he's also having to work with somebody with whom he is not comfortable overall. Yeah. So, I mean, those are a couple of things I would take away. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any, um, you see Timmy uh, to Mm -hmm. this episode exactly, but, um, but there, there certainly is a lot of stuff to take away. You, sir? Well, I think what's always interesting about Star Trek is that, um, as I've said before, when I say we on the show and I'm talking about the Enterprise crew, Mm -hmm. you know, the the Enterprise crew is the stand in for humanity, for for what we as a human race race could be like, maybe like maybe this is an aspirational thing that we work toward. So when they make comments about humans and humanity, you kind of have to look at that and say, oh, okay, well, that, that's a message to us, you know. And when Worf chastises Kalar for her all-too-human attitude about sexuality, mm. I thought, wow, now this is Star Trek trying to be progressive and different and um, maybe have a statement about sexuality that is – a little more interesting to uh, to explore than what we got in something like Manhunt, where it's just like, oh, here's this, you know, farce happening on board. In this, when Worf says that is an all too human attitude that you have, where she says like, yeah, I I, I could do this, I, I could have sex with you on the holodeck, and and it was great, and now we're done, and we don't have to get married. Because as you said, she is a woman who is self-possessed and possessed of her sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's kind of Star Trek transmitting to its audience to say, see, here's what also happens when humans let go of some of their hang-ups. So I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that continues to play out in Star Trek. Because Star Trek doesn't always make statements about that particular aspect of being human. But in this one, they did. But I think the other big message here is what you hit on, definitely. Um, things don't always go the way you want them to go, and, and it's okay. It's good to be flexible, um, to break out of your expectation and comfort zone once in a while and look at things from a new angle. You might learn something. Worf has to look at relationships, at least his relationship with Kalar, a little bit differently now. Um, those Klingons on the Tong get to look at their whole world a little differently now. So tradition may be all well and good, but there's a time and a place for it. And there's a time and a place to break it. 
Um, this same back and forth is happening throughout the episode, which is, okay, things are like this because that's just the way they are and there are no other options, like making assumptions about the mission of the Tong, only that they get totally broken down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Worf sees it happen personally and we get to see it happen on a bigger scale with the mission as a whole. Um, so, yeah, it may not be a UC Temi, um, but certainly that is driven home throughout the episode. So, um, yeah. And all, my, my guess up. is we would both say that, that those messages do hold up. Absolutely. All right. Well, there's one other thing that we will say, of course. What's that? Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com and find out all the other stuff that they do there. I, I encourage people, for some reason it's a little harder to find than, than I personally think it should, but there's a link there to the Roddenberry Foundation because mm. we get caught up on the Star Trek stuff because, you know, we like Star Trek and we're a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, but the name Roddenberry stands for other things too. So there's a bunch of stuff to check out. Check it out. Uh, for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM online. And for the latest and, uh, Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Ken, we'll do it all over again with peak performance. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Can you imagine if Warp and KLR had a baby? That would be crazy. Someone should write a story about that, or something. And transmission. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.